I'm Shelley Schlender. This is How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show. Today is Tuesday, July 25th, 2017. Coming up, we'll talk about how an invisible radio wave pollution is making a space shield that protects orbiting satellites. And then, when it comes to cancer, colon cancer is one of the deadliest, but many people avoid getting a colon cancer screening. Could that change if more people could choose a virtual colonoscopy? We'll find out. We start today's show by looking at an unexpected role for an unexpected source of pollution in outer space. And to set the stage, that's the theme song for the submarine suspense movie, The Hunt for Red October. Some of the newest satellites orbiting near the Earth have discovered an unexpected pollution involving submarines that creates a sort of protective shield for satellites and space stations orbiting the Earth. As for how scientists discovered the pollution and how it helps spacecraft. I often like to quote the late great American philosopher Yogi Berra who said you can observe a lot just by looking. That's Dan Baker, head of the Laboratory for Atmospheric and Space Physics, or LASP, located in Boulder. LASP is the world's only research institute to have sent scientific instruments to all eight planets and Pluto. LASP instruments include many that study near-Earth space. Baker says they show that humans leave a lot of pollution. Our world is in a cocoon almost of junk, you know, space debris. This can range from little chips of paint all the way up to spent rocket bodies and things like that. We've been trying to figure out how can we most effectively eliminate this debris without causing more of a problem. However, Baker's team has discovered a more subtle pollution than space debris that might have benefit. Baker says this subtle pollution protects Earth-orbiting spacecraft from an area of highly charged particles surrounding the Earth called the Van Allen belts. These very high-energy electrons of the Van Allen radiation belts can cause, we know, we've observed them to cause a very significant problems for spacecraft that are operating in space. The highly charged particles in the Van Allen belts can fry the electronics in satellites and space stations and the cells in people. Fortunately, it's been known for some years that underneath the Van Allen belts, those highly charged particles just sort of stop. It's somewhat analogous to the shields up, Scotty, that uh, Captain Kirk talked about in Star Trek. In, a, in the paper uh, where we originally described the fact that the electrons couldn't get close to the Earth. We published that in the journal Nature. We talked about it as if there was a barrier in space that particles simply couldn't penetrate through. Actually, the space shield isn't quite as good as Star Trek's Shields Up Scotty because spaceships can pass through the Van Allen shield. Meteors can go through it. But the space shield does protect the electronics of spacecraft that include weather satellites, communication satellites, GPS satellites. As for how that space shield got there, Dan Baker says the shield comes from very low-frequency radio waves. But which ones? Some very loud things can cause very low-frequency waves. For example, an exploding volcano sounds like this. That's a sound we can hear. It also makes very low-frequency radio waves that we can't hear. But Baker says a nature-made shield would have a fuzzy boundary. In contrast, Baker says, the edge of the Van Allen space shield... It's like there was a glass wall in space. For a boundary that precise, scientists suspected a human cause. 
After all, Baker says, for better or worse, humans have affected the Van Allen Belt. Back in the 1950s, and especially in the 1960s, there were nuclear explosions that put huge amounts of uh, radiation into space that caused many satellites to, to die because of radiation damage. If that were to happen today, there are over 1,400 satellites operating in space around the Earth. All of those could be subject to very severe uh, consequences if, if we started pumping more radiation into space. Baker says this is one of the many reasons for the nuclear test ban treaties that prohibit exploding nuclear weapons in space and in near-Earth space. Back to the space shield that protects spacecraft from the Van Allen Belt radiation. Earlier this summer, Baker's group published a new paper explaining the likely human cause of the space shield. For a clue, here's the theme song for the hunt for Red October. Primarily, it comes from the transmitters that are used to communicate with submarines. And so what we realize is that for the last 50-plus years, very high-power transmitters on the Earth have been sending out waves into space, into the atmosphere primarily. But a lot of those waves leak out through uh, along magnetic field lines and get out into near-Earth space and constitute this VLF bubble. So the VLF bubble is made up of these intense waves. These waves act to sort of scatter and, and scrub the inner part of the Van Allen belts. And, uh, and so we consider this to be one part of what we would call anthropogenic, that is human-caused space weather. Baker says that scrubbed-out area appears to make it safer for our satellites without causing adverse side effects. Dan Baker says scientists will keep studying this. For How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show, I'm Shelley Schlender. I'm Shelley Schlender for How on Earth. 50,000 Americans die each year from a cancer of the lower digestive tract called colon cancer. Those deaths would be reduced dramatically if more people got screened early enough to detect precancerous growths called polyps and then take the polyps out. The traditional way to find these polyps is with a colonoscopy. That's a test that insurance companies and Medicare will pay for. It's where doctors insert a tube with a camera through the rectum to look through the colon for polyps. While a colonoscopy is safe and effective, it's not popular. A newer style of checkup is a virtual colonoscopy. A virtual colonoscopy uses a sort of x-ray to find polyps, so there's no tube. And according to a new study in the journal Radiology, if insurance will pay for either a regular or a virtual colonoscopy, a lot more people get colon cancer screening. The study's author is University of Madison's Dr. Maureen Smith. Smith is a professor in the Departments of Population Health Sciences and Family Medicine. Now here's Dr. Maureen Smith. So the question that we asked was if you added a choice through uh, your insurance covering um, this new type of screening for colorectal cancer, was that associated with increased screening rates? Is there any downside to doing a virtual colonoscopy instead of the standard one where you have to get anesthetized or sedated? The doctor has to put a wire inside of you through your rectum. Why do doctors recommend that instead of just doing a virtual colonoscopy? Well, the capabilities to do this type of test are not as widespread yet as 
the older test, which is colonoscopy. In addition, there are a few percent of people who will have a positive finding on a virtual colonoscopy or CT colonography. And those few percent of people do need to be followed up with a regular colonoscopy in order to remove whatever precancer or cancerous lesions are found. Do you know what the small percentage is in terms of how many people actually have a polyp that needs to be removed? Here locally, it can run from 5%. Other studies have shown up to 15%. Okay, somewhere between 5 and 15% of colonoscopies discover a polyp that needs to be removed. And so if there were people mainly doing virtual colonoscopies, 5 to 15% of them would probably need to come back to get a full colonoscopy done to remove the polyp. Yes. There was another very intriguing part of your study. Out of 10 people who were trying to decide whether or not they would get a colon cancer screening, four additional people said, sure, I'll do it, than usual, because a virtual colonoscopy was an option. It was a 48% increased likelihood compared to the rate that was shown in the group who did not have CT colonography covered by their insurance. Okay, so actually almost five out of 10 more people. How many of them got the virtual colonoscopy and how many of them said, oh, I'll just do the regular one? The majority of them got the regular colonoscopy. Mm -hmm. It actually increased the number of people getting the regular one just to have a choice. That is consistent with what our study showed. Dr. Maureen Smith is a professor at the University of Madison. Her new study is about how when insurance companies will pay for either a traditional colonoscopy or a virtual colonoscopy, it dramatically increases the number of people willing to have a colon cancer screening. I'm Shelley Schlender. This is How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show. For a local perspective on this topic, up next, we talk with Dr. Bill Blanchett. Blanchett is a medical doctor who directs front-range preventative imaging, one of the first places in the state to offer virtual colonoscopies. For more, here's Dr. Bill Blanchett. We had a similar study out of the Navy Hospital in Bethesda. In Bethesda, you sign up for colon cancer screening, and the physicians there determine whether you are someone who should get a conventional colonoscopy, i.e., you have blood in the stools, you've had a previous history of a high-grade polyp, things like that, or are you simply there for colon cancer screening and you have no symptoms that would be concerning for the people who are there just for colon cancer screening without symptoms, without blood in the stool, they all get referred for virtual. People who show up are expecting to get a virtual. 40% said they would not sign up if it were not that virtual was an option for them. In terms of detecting colon cancer, is it basically equivalent to a standard colonoscopy where it's the tube that's used and threaded all the way through the entire colon? At the Navy Hospital in Bethesda, they had around 1,200 volunteers who had a virtual colonoscopy and a conventional colonoscopy the same day. I'm just going to pause here and think through the fact that people signed up to do two colonoscopies in one day. Yeah, imagine that. Well, this was Bethesda Naval Hospital. I'm not sure, maybe they didn't have to march, so they got to do a colonoscopy instead of marching that day. I'm not sure what the motivation was to sign up for two colonoscopies the same day. But they did get 1,200 volunteers to do a virtual and a conventional the same day. And so they did the virtual first. And so when they were doing the conventional, they had the results of the virtual. Okay, so they went all the way to the very end of the colon. And then pulled the two back looking for polyps. And when they got to the hepatic flexor, the place where the, the colon makes a turn, the gastroenterologist announced what they had found, 
And then the nurse who had the results of the virtual looked to see what was found in the descending colon, the part that the gastroenterologist had just looked at, and compared notes. And if the virtual had found a polyp, the gastroenterologist went down to look for the polyp that was, they missed. If the gastroenterologist found a polyp and the virtual hadn't, then that was chalked up as a miss for the virtual. The results were kind of interesting. The conventional colonoscopy found one colon cancer. The virtual colonoscopy had found two colon cancers. All right. The consensus, I believe, at this point is basically if you flip a coin, then you're going to get a pretty good screening with either virtual colonoscopy or the standard one. Conventional colonoscopy is much better at finding the very small polyps. Tiny, tiny polyps or growths in the intestinal tract are less likely to be cancerous. We've actually done studies on that. If you have a polyp that's smaller than 10 millimeters in size, one centimeter in size, the lifetime risk of that polyp becoming cancer is less than 1%. Some people argue that polyps smaller than 10 millimeters in size are so benign we don't need to worry about them. But when you're doing a conventional colonoscopy, any polyp you see we will take out. Getting back to the, the Bethesda study, the conventional colonoscopy found 87.5% of the one centimeter polyps. The virtual found 94% of the one centimeter polyps. It didn't reach statistical significance, but there was a trend the virtual was better at finding the larger polyps. Bill Blanchett, as a doctor who does a lot of virtual colonoscopies, how much easier are they to do or are they just as hard? For instance, do you still have to take a substance that makes you have very strong diarrhea? Yeah, both technologies require a prep because if there's stool in the colon, it's going to be difficult to figure out is this stool a polyp or is this stool stool? with a virtual colonoscopy. With a conventional colonoscopy, if you have stool in the colon, then you can't see the mucosa and it's a difficult test. Both of them require you to clean out your colon. I'm just trying to face the yuck factor of people. So, you know, we face up to the fact that both of them require prep and then both of them require there to be air of some kind put into the colon to expand it. So you don't get past the fact that you have to do that with either kind. That's kind of yucky. So I've had the opportunity to have all three. I've had a sigmoidoscopy back when that was the standard. I've had two virtual colonoscopies and one conventional colonoscopy. So I'm in a pretty good place as a consumer to be able to compare and contrast. And compared to the sigmoidoscopy, where you're just looking at the lower 30 inches of the colon, but you're wide awake, it's a very uncomfortable test. There's a lot of cramping. There's a lot of toe curling experience with that. With the virtual colonoscopy, there was no entertainment value, but it was not particularly uncomfortable. They put a small catheter in the rectum, you fill up the colon with carbon dioxide. But when you're done, it takes five to ten minutes, and then you're finished. Meaning that you need to expel the gas that was used to expand out the, the colon lining. It turns out you don't need to expel the gas because we inflate the colon with carbon dioxide. And so when we're done the procedure, we will evacuate all the gas that easily comes out. But the gas that remains is absorbed into your bloodstream and blown out through your lungs. So you're not going to get gas trapped way back in the colon and give you terrible trouble. Is that true whether it's a standard colonoscopy or a virtual colonoscopy? It's, it's true depending on the gas they inflate the colon with. With a standard colonoscopy, the normal procedure is to inflate the colon with air, although you don't have to. So if the place you go to chooses to inflate the colon with carbon dioxide, then you have the same value as the virtual colonoscopy. Isn't it amazing that we get to talk about this on the radio, by the way? Absolutely. Okay, so check that one on the list, that if somebody wants to have a virtual or a standard, if they can find a place that does carbon dioxide, it's a little bit more convenient. Right. You don't have the gas trapping. 
Now, back in the days when we did sigmoidoscopies, we had a lot of people who were very uncomfortable because of air that was trapped in the colon after the procedure. Said, okay, that's the one that's only half the colon, the, the sigmoidoscopy. That's don't do anymore because it only sees okay. you know, actually more like a third of the colon. Okay, so we'll just take that one out of there. We're comparing the big colonoscopy that goes all the way through with the virtual colonoscopy. So you still have to do the prep. You still have to have air. But then let's get to the actual procedure. You have to have an IV when you're doing a standard colonoscopy. And usually people have a sedative as well because you're getting a tube stuck into you that's very uncomfortable. What about a virtual colonoscopy? With a virtual colonoscopy, there is no IV. There is no sedation. And so one of the real beauties of virtual colonoscopy and one of the huge advantages of virtual colonoscopy over a conventional colonoscopy is that when you get off the table, you go back to whatever you were doing that day. In my case, I had a virtual colonoscopy, finished that, went up to my dentist and had a crown placed, finished that, went home and did my taxes all the same day. You have a penchant for punishment, Dr. Blanchett. It was not a great day. I'll be honest. It was not a great day. But I got it all done. When I had my conventional colonoscopy, I went at 6 in the morning, got an IV, got knocked out. My wife came and drove me home. I went to bed. I woke up at 6 o'clock that night with a headache. I get a bite to eat and went back to bed. The day was entirely blown. And so Because of the anesthesia. Because of the anesthesia. And with conventional colonoscopies, you're not there to enjoy it because you're unconscious. The reason you're unconscious is they're so painful that most people could not stand to be awake for it. The beauty of the virtual colonoscopy is that you're wide awake. When you're done, you're done. The other advantage of the virtual colonoscopy comes to safety. You don't have a reasonable risk of perforation. Are you talking about the fact that if you have a tube inside of your delicate intestinal tract, then there's a chance that it's going to puncture the intestinal wall? There's a small chance it'll puncture the intestinal wall when you do a conventional colonoscopy. It's not enough of a chance that you should never do a conventional colonoscopy. It's less than 1%, far less than 1%. It's less than 1%. And what I want to be careful of is, as I'm telling you the advantages of virtual colonoscopy, I do not want to be dissuading anyone from getting a conventional colonoscopy. Getting colon cancer screening is a really smart thing to do. And when I'm discussing with my patients, I will give them pros and cons of both procedures and have them choose which ones they want. And then we proceed that way. The virtual colonoscopy is more convenient, but one of the strong arguments against doing a virtual colonoscopy is that if a colon cancer possibility, a polyp, a little growth is found, then a person really needs to go back with the standard colonoscopy and get that removed. How often does that happen? In the literature, there are two studies looking at number of factors comparing the two technologies. And the answer is roughly 8%, 8 out of 100 people who have a virtual colonoscopy need to have a conventional colonoscopy to take the polyp out. But that means 92% of the people, a virtual colonoscopy will be about right for them. That's correct. For 92% of the people, virtual colonoscopy, once and done, and, and we have the information that we need. There is a Yale study that indicates that after a colonoscopy, a standard colonoscopy, within the next three weeks, maybe 2 to 5% of people come back to the hospital because of some rather serious complication. That study showed a higher instance of complications than we expected. 
Why that's the case, I'm not sure. It was complications that included possibly a slight perforation that had not been noticed for the intestinal lining, slight increased chance of infection from the equipment that's used inside that normally, you know, safe for what's in an environment of the colon, or enough irritation that happened to the intestinal lining to start a condition that was more serious, such as diverticulitis. So there were a lot of things that came up as possibilities, and it's not entirely clear, but it was a surprising study that showed more complications are possible from colonoscopies than people realized. And that's one of the compelling issues with virtual colonoscopy is that the instance of complications with virtual colonoscopies is almost non-existent. Well, it's just a compelling argument. Well, what about the compelling argument in the other direction of the fact that a virtual colonoscopy does expose someone to more radiation than a standard colonoscopy? It does. The amount of radiation with a virtual colonoscopy is 5 millisieverts. Now, comparing that to living in Colorado, living in Colorado, we get, depending on what year, get 2 to 3 millisieverts more radiation than you get living at sea level. Another perspective is OSHA comes up with acceptable occupational radiation. So if you're working in a nuclear facility, how much radiation can you be exposed to every five years? And the answer is 100 millisieverts is acceptable every five years. And so we're looking at five millisieverts every five years with virtual colonoscopy. So it's, it's, it's a generally considered an acceptable level of radiation for the value of material information that we get. Okay, but don't get it every year and don't get it every six months. Don't get a virtual colonoscopy. No, that's correct. You get a virtual colonoscopy every five years if you want to do optimal screening. The level of radiation with virtual colonoscopy is considered an acceptable diagnostic level of radiation. It's actually half the radiation dose of a conventional CAT scan. Well, then the last question for you, Dr. Bill Blanchett, is how about insurance? At Front Range Preventative Imaging, how many people who come in end up having an insurance company that's paying for their virtual colonoscopy? Essentially, all commercial insurance companies now cover virtual colonoscopy as a covered benefit. And it's in the preventive category, and it usually comes without deductible or copay. What about Kaiser Permanente? Kaiser Permanente only covers tests within their network. Since I'm not in the Kaiser Permanente network, I cannot speak for Kaiser Permanente. I do know that eight years ago on the West Coast, Kaiser Permanente was covering virtual colonoscopies. But I think they have different regional approaches. Medicare remains the holdout. And despite the fact that the American Cancer Society, the Food and Drug Administration, and the National Preventive Services Task Force all consider virtual colonoscopy an equivalent screening test, Medicare is yet to cover it as a screening test, which is, is unfortunate because the Medicare patients who choose a virtual colonoscopy still need to pay for it out of pocket, but that's something that should not be the case. Yet when the FDA and National Preventive Services Task Force covers it, Medicare should cover it. That's puzzling too because overall it's a less expensive test to do. It requires less staff. It requires less hospital or clinic time. And the fact that it finds things outside the colon. And so I'd, I'd like to just quickly reference the two studies in the New England Journal. In the first study, which we already alluded to, the Bethesda Naval Hospital study, the virtual colonoscopy found two colon cancers. The conventional only found one. But the virtual colonoscopy found five cancers outside the colon. Where were they? 
one ovarian cancer, one lymphoma, one renal cancer, and two lung cancers found in the base of the lungs. Boy, there's a lot of things that can go inside of people and go wrong. That's right. And all of those cancers were found stage one, potentially curable. They also found two aortic aneurysms. That has to do with the heart, a bulging vessel that could burst that's connecting into the heart. That's exactly what it is. The aorta is the largest artery in our body that goes from our heart down through our abdomen to our legs. And if it's enlarged and at risk of rupturing, then it's called an aneurysm. And so the virtual colonoscopy found two aneurysms in these 1,200 patients. The conventional colonoscopy doesn't have the opportunity to find cancers or pathology outside the colon. The other study, they took 3,300 sequential patients who had virtuals and 3,300 sequential patients referred for conventional colonoscopy. And the same number of clinically important benign polyps was taken out of both groups. 8% of the people who had a virtual needed a conventional to take the polyps out. The virtual colonoscopy group had no complications. The conventional group had seven perforations, five of whom needed surgery to repair it. The conventional found four cancers. The virtual found 14 colon cancers and eight cancers outside the colon for a total of 22 cancers. And so that seems a compelling argument to include virtual colonoscopy within the options for the patient for colon cancer screening. Well, thank you for your information. And I will concede that you are a biased source because you provide these virtual colonoscopies, but I appreciate you also providing lots of the data behind why you think it's a good technology that we can all listen to and consider. Absolutely. And, and my bias is for my patients not to have colon cancer and to provide other alternatives for patients who are not willing to do a colonoscopy, I think is, is very useful. If I were to analyze my patient population, the truth of the matter is still a majority of them get a conventional colonoscopy, and that's good with me. I'm fine with that. I want them to have a healthy life without colon cancer. You want them to be screened, and if this helps them be screened, you're all for it. I want them to be screened. If they're screened by the technology that I do, that's delightful. If they're screened by the technology that the gastroenterologist does, I'm 100% in favor of that. I just don't want my patients to have colon cancer. Dr. Bill Blanchett directs front-range preventative imaging one of the first clinics in Colorado to offer virtual colonoscopies. That's all for this edition of How on Earth. Our executive producer is Alejandro Soto. This week's show was produced and engineered by me. Our theme music was written and produced by Josh Cutler. Additional music from the hunt for Red October. Visit our website at howonearthradio.org to find past episodes, extended interviews, and you can subscribe to our podcast through iTunes and, and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Questions or comments? Call the KGNU comment line at 303-447-9911. For How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show, I'm Shelley Schlender. <laughs>